Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. If the audio on today's show sounds a little bit different to usual, it's because we're recording it from four different locations. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is the editor-in-chief of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine, Phil Walker, Wisdom.com's Ben Gardner and the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon. How are you guys doing? Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, all all right. Um, All things considered, obviously a very, very strange time and... uh, I'm still at the Oval. We've got a, a cricketer's who's who to send to print tomorrow. So it's pretty much just me and the groundsman left at the Oval here. It's quite a, an odd experience. They've understandably turned off all the heating, so it's freezing here as well. Um, so, yeah, I think as of next week, I'll be hunkering down like everyone else. Also, I should also say as well that I, I walked here and back. I haven't been taking public transport, have been taking precautions uh, and haven't been really seeing anyone. Um, how about you? How are you doing? Lovely. Surviving. I've been using uh, video calls to, to see people, so I don't feel too lonely. I was, I was wondering, actually, what's it been like putting a magazine together remotely? Because you haven't been in the same room as Phil for a bit? Not since earlier in the week. Phil and I were in the, t- together a couple of days ago. Yeah, Wisdom Cricket Monthly went to print yesterday. Um, obviously, that in itself was was problematic. A lot of the magazine will perhaps feel a little bit dated but we've done done our best to bring it as up to date as as possible um phil i mean you you hit the button to send it to print yesterday it's been a it's been a, a different one hasn't it yeah you could say that without doubt the strangest issue we've done to date um as, as joe says some of it might jar a little bit but as you can imagine much of it was written and designed before the situation escalated um yeah for all all the weirdness of the moment I think the magazine still stands up and uh, it will become, I think, in time to come, a peculiar but quite sort of poignant document, really, of the time. My sort of editor's note, obviously, related to the, the, the current situation. And, and as we were adjusting pieces through the magazine as we went, we had to change the tone of it as we went along. Um, we'd prepared and designed uh, a county section in readiness for the new season, a new season that we had to acknowledge it was certainly not going to happen on the day that it was expected, may not happen at all. And we've tried our best in the last 24, 48 hours to address that fundamental question of where where the game 
uh, may or may not be going over the next few months and the consequences financially um, of, of a potentially cancelled season. It's, it's amazing to think it's been seven days since we last recorded one of these. If you want a reminder of simpler times, just have a listen to last week's episode that was recorded before anything was cancelled. So since yeah. then, pretty much all cricket has either been suspended or cancelled. England's tour of Sri Lanka has been postponed. The PSL came to a premature end. The Sheffield Shield in Australia was suspended. India series against South Africa had to be rescheduled. Um, in England, the ECB recently released a statement saying, following the government's latest advice around social distancing, it is with sadness and reluctance that we recommend that all forms of recreational cricket are for now suspended. These are unprecedented times. Cricket wasn't interrupted to this extent, even in wartime, Phil. Uh, you mentioned the recreational game where cash is scarce at the best of times. I actually spoke to my club chairman um, about the impact that it will have on our club, and he said... Uh, the biggest problem facing our club, and this will of course be echoed up and down the land, is that they'll be losing players uh, and they'll be losing their subscriptions that come from the players. Um, our particular club has a fixed membership cost, so to lose those those funds is, is potentially cataclysmic. He's hoping that the local council will help us out, um, but our insurance as a club only runs to £1,000, so that'll be that'll be easily subsumed um we are fortunate in that we haven't ordered our shirts and our playing kits yet for the season and that our overseas player had not yet been confirmed but of course many other clubs will be a lot further down the line so um the the sense from my club is that we will survive a season um of non-cricket but with the others and that's that's a huge question really that the game faces um, and you just hope that the ECB, whose messages I think have been pretty sound so far and whose actions uh, certainly have the county CEOs supporting them, but how big a, how big a reserve fund is there uh, to protect not just county clubs, of course, but, but club, cr- club cricket as well, all the way down the bottom of the, mm. to the bottom of the pyramid. And, and, and look... Just as we're hearing around the country that you have to club together, you have to support one another, you have to make certain kind of innovative financial moves, well, the same is obviously going to apply in cricket as well. Yeah, we, we don't have any idea when cricket will return to anything near normality, to be honest. Some, some reports suggesting that the current social distancing measures could last for months, six months even. So there's a very real possibility of there not being a cricket season at all. And this potentially has serious ramifications on counties as well as clubs. Um, there was a report today in the Telegraph from Ting Wigmore that said that over half the counties are in danger of bankruptcy. Joe, how, how bleak does it look for the counties? I mean, it doesn't look good, certainly. Um, Tim's piece, uh, it contrasted with what Phil wrote in his, in his leader. Phil spoke to a, a chief exec and another couple of people around the game who gave a more optimistic view of how the next few months might unfold. The question is just at what point do we start again? And until you know that, it's very hard to know exactly how things are going to fall into place. Tim Wigmore, in his piece, he picks out the date of the 100 being the significant one. Will cricket start again before that? And obviously, the ECB, more than anything else this summer, will want the 100 to take place in some form or other. Obviously, you're going to have the, the traditional county supporters who want to see some county championship cricket. Something's going to have to give, if not the whole lot. The Royal London One Day Cup, I think we can consider that one gone already. I can't see how they can possibly fit that in. And that's the natural thing to fall away, given that they're calling it a developmental competition anyway. But yeah, there are counties who uh, are 
a kind of living hand to mouth as it is. A lot of them have done the right thing in making sure that their venues are more than just cricket grounds. They, they're hospitality venues, they host gigs, they host dinners. All those things won't be happening. So in a way, the ones that have, have done the responsible thing and tried to become more than a cricket club are the ones that stand most to lose most here um, because they've got different revenue streams that just aren't going to be, aren't going to be in operation. Ben, if, if um, theoretically there's no cricket from now until mid-July, how, how would you go about constructing a cricket season? Well, I think from a purely financial point of view, as Joe says, the ECB will be desperate for the hundreds to take place, but the counties will be desperate for the, the T20 blast to take place and to get crowds in for that. I think that um, that is, is their lifeblood, basically, as well as the, the money they get from the ECB. They don't make very much off the county championship or the one-day cup. There's even an argument that they like that those are sort of loss making competitions almost for them and the uh if if they have to be played behind closed doors which is a possibility that wouldn't be a huge loss for them but yeah so it's i mean if if they were trying to fit if they could potentially fit one competition in the ecb would want it to be the 100 you fancy that counties would want to be the blast and you wonder if we if that could potentially be another area of contention in in the months ahead but yeah i guess i I guess yeah it's it's conceivable we get just short form cricket and no proper first class competition just a couple of first class games sort of showpiece things uh maybe a couple of derbies you know yorkshire v lancashire uh surrey versus uh versus middlesex and no and the county championship just resumes next season that might be one possible outcome but as you say we could have we could have nothing at all it could we'll just be discussing it for for nothing basically Phil, as, a, as Ben says, there are good reasons why if the season starts very late, we basically just have the 100, the T20 blast and a little bit more. There are good financial reasons for that, but that would feel odd from a cricketing, from a cricket supporter's point of view. Yeah, but it's unprecedented, isn't it? I think we have to be pragmatic as much as possible here and recognise that while true cricket fans gravitate towards the four-day game over and above everything else... Uh, we're talking, dare I say, about the existential future of, of certain counties here. And um, I think we just have to accept that the the best revenue generator for all counties is obviously the blast. And so that has to be protected at all, at all costs. What Tim wrote in The Telegraph today, um, uh, I can understand a, a, where, a, a way that the 100 can in effect be the pipe opener to the season and then the blast could potentially follow in the early autumn in kind of August onwards. I think there would be an appetite for that. Uh, I think also you have to bear in mind the TV companies as well. You know, Sky Sports put an obscene amount of money into cricket. They bankroll the English game, as we know. They're not going to be interested in putting four-day cricket on. They're going to be wanting to pack their schedules with what would have been already pre-planned scheduling for the blast. And so I think quite rightly, those two tournaments, from a financial perspective and a TV bums on seats perspective, those two have to be prioritised for this year and this year only. It's interesting that no one's actually mentioned really the international summer either. You know, and the international summer will be due to start in May. That's not going to happen. There's going to be counties, uh, rather test match hosting counties that are going to be relying on those test matches, some of them are not going to go ahead. Maybe all of them are not going to go ahead. Uh, but we will need some international cricket if there's going to be any international any cricket at all. And we run the risk here of potentially going into a, a test match with our eleven 
having played no red ball cricket at all. That's not inconceivable. That the only thing to really protect would be the test match game and, and, and the rest will have to fall by the wayside. And so you can have somebody rocking up at Lords and opening the batting on a Thursday morning without having played any red ball cricket at all. You imagine that they would find a way to play some stuff in the background, some twos cricket, some unofficial games, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see any four-day cricket, first-class cricket at all throughout this summer. In fairness... English, England players quite often play Test cricket without having played yeah. Red Bull cricket in preparation. Sure, they do do that. That is true. If we're being completely hopelessly optimistic just for a second, I feel like there is a world where there, there's a sort of benefit to cricket from this whole thing, where somehow we get back on the park by July 17th when the 100s post start, and then there'll be a real appetite for live sport just because of everyone having been deprived so long and cricket will be... The, pretty much the only thing on with the Euros being cancelled uh, who knows if the Olympics will be able to take place even if cricket is restarted by that point and that sort of sport and uh, there's a potential for it to be with it being on free to air like possibly like a really like life firming thing I remember talking to Henry Blofeld about the uh, the 1947 first class summer which uh, after the war when everyone was still sort of on rations and uh, there wasn't much fun to be had outside of cricket but the, the county championship had absolutely huge attendances it was the summer of uh, of Compton and Edrich when they got when they broke all run scoring records and just as it being it's the summer that got him into it but just that basically got almost like a whole generation into cricket um and there's if if yeah as I say being very very optimistic there's a possibility that, that could happen but yeah Ben you're making some very good points but it's hard to take you seriously when your pet rat is crawling across <laughs> your, your shoulders <laughs> so we've got a four way Skype going on and is, it, is that Peanut is that your rat yeah. Peanut that is, yeah. that is Peanut yeah he's just had a sleep in my hood but now he's uh, awoken <laughs> and is crawling across my shoulders yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's bizarre. We'll, we'll put screenshots of this conversation on a, on our, on our Twitter feed if anyone's interested. We, we we said pet rat, right? This this is a pet rat, not a. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, he's yeah. It's not just infested yes. Ben's flat. So, yeah. Although it's touch and go. Looking at the state of your flat. <laughs> um, the the schedule could get quite funky. West Indies have offered to host England if the coronavirus basically avoids the Caribbean. Um, there's, there's talk that the English season could go into July, uh, sorry, July into October if, if necessary, which it, which makes sense, right? Uh, the, the weather in October is not that dissimilar to what it's like in April, so we could be playing well, look, up until Halloween. Uh, quite a few people are playing b- before all of this happened. Quite a people have said that actually it'd be better to start in May and finish in October anyway with the county championship season because the weather is now better in October than it is in April. I don't see that being a huge problem. It's just the clashes that are that are going to come at the end of this. Uh, I think we're going to talk about, I mean, West Indies have made a generous offer to to host England series over there and potentially even host uh, England's series against Pakistan over there. Is that right? I've not seen that. I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen the offer for the for the England West Indies series. I'm pretty sure they've said they'll they'd also be happy to, to um, have the Pakistan series over there as well, because there's very few cases of the virus in the Caribbean as yet. With fingers crossed, that's that's the case. And this isn't a case of West Indies cricket board seeing a few quid here. Um, Johnny Grave, their CEO. Um, who used to work in England with the PCA, said, look, all broadcasting rights, they stay as they are, but we just want to make sure that cricket can happen in the best way it possibly can, um, which is a really generous, um, thoughtful offer. And, you know, it might be one that England can potentially take up. It's also quite a big deal for individual players' careers. Wherever, whatever stage players are in their careers, just having a whole year taken out is, is quite a big deal. Ben, you were saying that uh, for someone like Stokes, Stokes now has two potentially has two years out 
of the game uh, at his peak. Uh, yeah, well, having had the one before out, yeah. I mean, I guess if if it's just for the summer, in a way, if there was a summer to miss from like a personal point of view for someone like Stokes missing three tests against Wissanies and three tests against Pakistan, his legacy, I mean, his legacy is already secure, but it's not going to be too much burnished or not by this. I guess for it's, it's funny when there's like a, obviously a huge like world shattering pandemic that's going on you end up wondering what it's going to do for like Joe Denley's test career you realise that you're kind of like <laughs> hopelessly lost the game it's good that whatever's happening in the world we still come back to the future of Joe Denley's <laughs> test career yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and England's number three yeah well, well it goes two ways right so in, in, one, in one way you could say that he's uh, he's got another year as England's incumbent number three but equally he's a lot less likely to, to play another test but yeah it's, uh, it's got, got a massive impact on players careers and you could tell Obviously, the, the, I, I wonder what it's like from a player when you're fit and healthy and you're not able to play. Like, I mean, we're getting bored just being stuck at home, but our, our, our jobs aren't affected by it hugely at the moment. But, you know, players are so used to being active and they, they can't leave their, their house and their, and their gardens. And we hear this with cricketers who get injured. I mean, there's actually, Phil's just interviewed Mark Woods for the um, upcoming issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly and, and Mark Wood talks about the psychological pressures of, of not playing cricket and not being able to do the thing that you want to do and look, that's, that's with an injury in this case you've got every professional in the country unable to do what they've been preparing for and don't forget these, these players would have been started training in November last year getting ready for this season and they've got nothing to get ready for and most, most of them are so used to having cricket dominate their lives there isn't necessarily a lot else going on um, that's certainly the impression I get from proofing the cricketers who's who uh, over the last couple of days, uh, they need a new series of Love Island. I think that seems to be the thing that will keep them going <laughs> over over the next few months. I was going to ask Phil, you you you've been proofing a lot of the cricketers' who's who. Do you want to explain what it is and and some of the the best mm. lines in it that you come across? Well, it's it's becoming an increasingly surreal situation to be to be reading with as much granular detail as possible the the accounts of four hundred plus first class cricketers ahead of the 2020 domestic season, which looks like an increasingly forlorn and unlikely thing to take place anyway. Um, that said, we, we march on. This, this particular edition, and we've been doing it for, God, Joe will know, but a decade and more, it's got cult classic written all over it, this one, because it's, it's going to be going out there, it's going to be printed. We've pre-sold quite a few already, and you know the loyalists out there, the county loyalists, they want their who's who. They, they want it. So we're going to deliver it for them by hook or by crook. And uh, it's going to go down in legend, this one. It's going to be on eBay for 20p in 10 years' time, but it's going to be shifting copies after copy. You watch. I've just been subbing. My, my stories are rather brought to you from the letter H today. Let's just say it's quite, it's quite a big job. Don't judge me, Joe. Don't judge me. I've been busy this morning. It's very revealing about your proofing so far. Yeah, yeah I know. On. I've got stories about... Hannon Dalby, Simon Harmer, <laughs> Miles Hammond, Toby Helm. <laughs> anyway, no, it's, it's classic. Um, things that I've discovered just this morning. Um, Ravi Bapara, according to Simon Harmer, is a member of the Flat Earth Society. So there you go. <laughs> so make of that what you will. Miles Hammond. Oh, sorry, on, on, on Flat Earthers, um, I was once yep. uh, accosted by a Flat Earther and there is a 30-minute video of me on the internet being interviewed by a flat earther um, 
about a few years ago. It's really difficult to find, so you definitely won't be able to find it. But put five yeah. minutes of it in in this podcast halfway <laughs> yeah. through, just to just to shake things up a little bit. But sorry, you, uh, you were on to Han and Dolby. Well, Han and Dalby, um, who sends some, some lovely responses to, to the questions, but his nickname is Owlface, which I thought was a peculiar nickname, and, and his favourite book is Owls by Marianne Taylor, whoever that particular owls expert is. So he's, he's owls-based. Um, uh, Miles Hammond, uh, work-a-day Southpaw opening bat for Gloucestershire, um, his thing to change cricket for the better would be to introduce... LBWs for balls pitching outside leg stump. Now you've got to bear in mind this chap is a left-handed <laughs> opening batsman. <laughs> he's 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 right in his P45 before the the, the series the season has even failed to start. He must have had a really good 2019. Yeah, Lewis Hill. These are all H-based, Joe. Lewis Hill from Leicestershire. Targeted. Not even low in the H's either. No, no. Uh, targeted by armed robbers twice while working at his local news agency in Leicester. Blimey. In the badlands of Leicester Town. Twice. Twice. Armed robbers. Um, Toby, Toby, is it Toby Helm? Tom Helm. Tom Helm. Tom, Tom Helm. Who's Toby Helm? Political commentator or something. Anyway, Tom Helm, of course. The giant Middlesex seamer. Um, the, the most popular subject in the Middlesex dressing room, weapons. Just one word, weapons. So God knows what's going on there. And finally, I, think they, I think they just call each other weapons as an insult. Right. So it means like being a bit of a wally. Oh, is that right? Yeah. All right, like... That's what I'm guessing it is. I, th- I think, uh, yeah, maybe. You've gone out on a limb there, yes, but maybe. I've got, I've got more stories from, from the H part of county cricket, but I guess we'll probably move on. It's a, it, it's a long it's Indeed. A long no, n- next, next, next week, the letter K. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, got, um, I've got an idea. One gave me an idea, actually. So Alex Blake of Kent reckons he can name every player's squad number in county cricket which can't be true but given we're going to have a lack of material over the next few months I think we should just get him on the show say a number he has to say the county cricketer that's, that's at least half an hour of podcasting <laughs> get him on that's brilliant not, not sure how uh, listener friendly that is oh, be good. Well, I'm talking about three months there will be low standards <laughs> by then um, can I just dip into a few mo- the favourite section is my favourite section is always the umpires because um, you don't really think about umpires when they're not standing there in their, in their white coats what they do over the winter so um, Jeff Evans first class umpire he's got a job driving ski groups to the Alps during the winter <laughs> uh, to indulge his own passion of skiing uh, Neil Bainton He's a Royal Mail postie. Used to be my umpire at our club, Bainters. <laughs> yeah, he was our first team umpire when I was growing up. One of your and own. Paul, Paul Baldwin, he's been an extra in two German films, playing uh, an RAF pilot in one and bodyguard to Lyndon B. Johnson in the other. <laughs> <laughs> this That's is marvellous. That's fantastic. Um, some other ways to spend your, 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 your periods of self-quarantine... Um, have a look on Twitter and look at what Mark Church, the voice of Surrey, has been doing. Mm. He's been commentating on some classic Ashes moments with his mum and his daughter. Um, also, ESPN Cricket for UK editor and WCM columnist Andrew Miller has also been recreating famous Ashes memories with his pet cat. Um, that is more entertaining than it sounds. If you've not already seen them, <laughs> I'd recommend having a look. Um, we've not talked much about the PSL at all this year. It was brought to a premature end after Alex Hale showed symptoms on his of, of the 
showed coronavirus symptoms on his return to the UK. Um, given that we're unlikely to have much cricket anytime soon, the performances of England players in the PSL might have uh, really big ramifications on their T20 World Cup prospects, presuming that still goes ahead. Ben, who, who are the big winners from an English perspective? Well, it's hard to look past Alex Hales, really. You obviously knows how to make an exit, having brought the whole thing to a close. But um, <laughs> just every time he picks up a bat in the shortest format, he just scores runs very quickly. And, uh, I mean... If, if there was ever a time to, to rebuild some trust, it's putting him and Owen Morgan in a, a you know, a social, uh, a self-isolation booth for a, a couple of weeks and let them have it out. <laughs> but I mean, if, if there is, a, I, I think it's hard to avoid the conclusion that he is the best T20 opener that England have available. And if they want to win the World Cup, he's like, him in their first 11 would be a boost for them. I mean, obviously the, the, the the team unity argument is a strong one, but there is a long time between now and then and he just looks in such good form and has done for such a long time that it's going to be fascinating to see whether whether there is any way back for him. Um, oh, obviously, you've got Johnny Besto, Josh Butler as well, but I mean, if you're comparing Hales' worth in the T20 stuff compared to the ODI team, um, he's, he's obviously more important in this format than he was for the 50-year World Cup, which makes the decision to leave him out uh, far harder. Oh, uh, yeah, massively. I think that um, I think Alex Hales is a a better T Twenty batsman than a fifty over batsman. I think Jason Roy is not quite as good in T Twenty cricket as in fifty over cricket. And England are also a T Twenty team who can less afford to leave out a player like that. I mean, they're 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 still slightly different things, even though England play fifty over cricket as much like T Twenty cricket as any team has ever done. If that makes sense. Uh, they're still slightly different formats that require slightly different skill sets and are just better in who training cricket than the T20 cricket. So they, they need kind of the, all the help they can get in a way. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's in, I mean, there isn't really a critting case for leaving them out, but it's increasingly hard to see how the sort of the moral case, if you like, counteracts the cricketing case, which is uh, just has Alex Hales as so, well, not, not so far ahead the best. I mean, we've got to remember that Johnny Bairstow is especially very very good from the batting as is Josh Butler though England may try and find something else for him to do England do have other options but I feel like Alex Hales probably is the best of those options right now well there's uh, everyone's obviously rightly got excited about Tom Banton and he had a brilliant big bash but based on Banton's PSL form versus Hales it's increasingly hard to make the case that Banton is a better pick than Hales on purely cricketing terms obviously there are other factors to take into account but Banton's still a work in progress, however exciting he might be. Yeah, and Hales also has the the, the, the huge body of work in T20 cricket, especially, I remember, was it back in 2010 or 11? He got that 99 against uh, against the West Indies. Like, he was, in a way, England's... He was, in a way, sort of like, the almost like at the vanguard of this attacking revolution and doing it in T20 cricket to begin with. I mean, he's got, like, a, yeah, as I say, like the 100 against Sri Lanka. He's... Uh, you could argue he's kind of been England's most successful T20 batsman in international cricket. And yeah, Banton, as good as he could be at the moment, doesn't have the sort of just, just, just that confidence that he can do it at that level to be, uh, to be ahead of Hales, I think. Another English player to have a really good tournament was Samit Patel. He had a, he had a brilliant tournament with the ball. Um, I can't believe that he doesn't have a contract for the 100. I can't believe it. How, how is somebody who's one of the most effective players in one of the best T20 leagues in the world still not got a 100 contact, contract obviously that, that could change um, 
but yeah, that was. It's sad that the PSL came to a premature end because it had been such a good tournament, very entertaining. Uh, there's an amazing array of uh, quick bowlers in the PSL, which makes it quite particularly exciting to watch. And it's high quality cricket and packed houses as well. And I was going to say as well, and it was really noticeable this year compared to previous years, just how much attention it was getting um, on social media news coverage, partly over here because more English players are playing in it, but, but not just that. I think there's an appreciation that this is actually a really high-quality tournament uh, and also it being played in Pakistan entirely as well as gives it another... Uh, adds to the atmosphere of the whole thing, makes it a kind of a more, uh, more of a, a showpiece mm. event. Um, so this week's Saturday night stat, it's the, it's the stat that I sent to Joe, Phil and Ben about 10.45 on a Saturday night uh, this week's one was Graham Hick took more ODI wickets than Phil Tufnell in the 1990s Hick took 21 <laughs> wickets at 38 Tufnell 19 wickets at 37 which I was pretty how, how do you alight on this yes yes how do you alight on this um, so I found it in earlier in the day when I was at home and I set an alarm on my phone for 10.45 that said nonsense Hick stat and uh yeah, so but, I mean, if you're looking for silly stats, the 90s is a pretty good place to go, um, particularly with England in the 90s, particularly England one-day cricket in the 90s. Um, and I knew that Hick took quite a few wickets, so I thought there was a chance that there'd be something with Hick, and I got it. Um, Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on. I think I, re- I actually responded to that one, didn't you I? You did, you did. I actually, actually gave you yeah. a, gave I, you a I responded as well with a video of my, uh, my mum ice skating to a background of Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, uh, which wasn't immediately relevant. Um. No, but it was a glimpse into your, your internal life, Joe, that I rarely get, despite having worked with you for a decade and more. It was, it was quite revealing, actually, in its own way. Well, I was preparing for hunkering down. My mum sends me these videos the whole time, and I thought there's something to work with here. So I did another sure. one to slide away um, and hit me with the rhythm stick as well, because the rhythm is, Lovely. is, is, not, is not great. Um, but yeah, anyway, more of that to come, probably. You should get on TikTok. <laughs> that, that is genuinely what TikTok's about. Right. Put, put music right. On, on videos. So, yeah. Okay. Um, watch out for, for Joe on TikTok. Um, <laughs> last week, we talked about um, cricketers who did really well in their secondary discipline. Joe reminded us of Jonathan Trott's extraordinary seventh for against Kent. Um, have you guys got any more today? I have. Yeah, go on. I'm going to just do, I'm going to limit mine to exclusively um, Warwickshire batsmen who bowl a bit uh, and go in with, with Ian Bell. Uh, so this was June 2004, I think a month, just a month before Ian Bell made his test debut actually. Warwickshire playing Middlesex at Lords. Warwickshire scored 608 in their first innings. Nick Knight, 303 not out. Ian Bell himself, 129, but that's not what we're interested in here. In reply, Middlesex are struggling. They're five for 72. You're looking to polish off the tail. And who do you bring on? You bring on Ian Bell to bowl, who takes four for four in four overs, uh, including Lance Cluson at LBW first ball. And Middlesex are blown away for 163. Uh, go on to lose by an innings. Bell getting Cluson again in the second innings. Uh, and yeah, an innings victory and eight runs. Warwickshire, Ian Bell, genuine all-rounder. I think Ben's got a better one. Oh. As, as, as good as that was, as good as that was. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got a couple. Uh, mine's an actually match turning bowling performance from uh, none other than Sir Alistair Cook in a 
in 2005 when he was keen to do a bit of everything to uh, to to make his case. So I'll run you through the scorecard again. So uh, first off, Essex 506, Alistair Cook 66, uh, North Ants make 247, asked to follow on, but looks like they might get away with a draw when they get to 202 for two in their second innings. And then uh, who do Essex bring on to uh, to break the partnership? But Alistair Cook, who proceeds to take three wickets and three overs as uh, North Ants slide from 202 for two to 207 for five. Uh, a great crop of wickets as well. First, Usman Afzal, LBW, uh, bold cook. Finishes off with Ricky Wessels, caught Andy Flower, bold cook. And then uh, in the middle, uh, stumped by Foster, top scorer, Bilal Shafiat. Uh, one Ashes legend gets another. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Essex go on to, to win at a canter. So, yeah, that, that's one. And I also, I just find Ajita Garka's test career completely fascinating. Uh, so... <laughs> As a, he obviously was a bowler, so it's not in his secondary discipline, but only once took more than three wickets in an innings when he took six for 41 uh, against Australia in Australia in one of India's greatest ever test victories in the game where Latchman and Dravid batted for absolutely ages. Dravid got a double hundred and then also got uh, 100 in the fourth innings against England at Lords and never else passed 50 in his, in his test career. So more, more Lords test hundreds than... Uh, than Sachin Tendulkar. So, so was that was that in a losing cause that hundred? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was one of those sort of. I guess that that was more of a, a, a silly tail end thrash when they've got too many runs to chase. But still, it, they all count. Ben, ben, on going back to your Cook spell. Yes. That because early in his career he bowled a bit of offspin, didn't he? Do you know, was he bowling offspin or was he bowling his Bob Willis's? I think it must have been offspin, considering. Well, I mean, I guess Foster could stand up to Cook's. Bob Willis's pretty comfortably, <laughs> but, probably. Uh, but 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 from the from the look of the scorecard, so Monty took seven for in the first innings. Uh, Danish Canaria took six for in the same innings that Cook took those three. So it, it, I think it must have been a little bit of a of slow <laughs> tweak. Um, but yeah, but he, Cook, Cook never again took more than one wicket in a first class innings. But on that occasion, just just tore through Northants. We've been we've been sent loads in on social media. Uh, one that caught my eye was. Graham Gooch took five wickets at 18 at home to Pakistan in 1992. Phil, this is yes, your areas. Um, what, what, what happened there? <laughs> um, Gooch, he was a massively underrated seamer. Uh, it was only the fact that he was captain that he didn't bowl all the time. Uh, in, in, in the game as well, where he got 300, uh, he took the key wicket of Mandraker at first drop and then also completed a run out. Uh, in a game where he made 456 runs. He's, he's one of the great all-rounders. He's just, just too modest and enigmatic to say so, yeah. But Gooch, honestly, used to take a lot of wickets for Essex, swinging it round corners. He was, he was better than a kind of joke batsman who bowls a bit. He was better than that, Gooch was. Uh, and always got a bit of a way movement as well. Um, so, yeah, he, he had his moments, did Gucci. Kind of like above, above Jonathan Trott level of bowling? I, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, obviously Joe's Joe's going to be bristling at that, but I would say that Gooch was he, he swung he swung it a lot a, a lot on his day <laughs> in certain conditions he swung it a lot. Okay, back in the old days, I I remember Trot swinging it a lot on his. I'll day. I'll knock it off, Gardner. Um, <laughs> I, I've got I've just they probably don't fit the bill. I've got a couple of um, kind of one off one off scalps that you would never imagine. Quite famous ones, I guess, but. And one slightly more more off piste, but obviously Vaughan clean bowling Sachin is is a classic. It's it's a classic of the genre, if you like. 
Ponting nicking off Vaughan as well a couple of years later in, in that 05 Ashes. That was a great moment. Yeah. Ponting finally let go yeah. of the, the, the tough, mongrel, uncompromising bastard personality. He let go and giggled like a silly little schoolgirl. It was beautiful to watch. But yeah, Nick, Nick Vaughan off. Rendered him shotless as well in that spell. It was a brilliant bit of captaincy, I thought. But here's one for you. I bet, bet none of you know this. Who were Nasser Hussein's two first-class wickets? Oh, I feel like I know one of these. I'll fill in the blanks. I'll fill in the blanks for you, shall I? Viv Richards. Yaz Rana. Yaz Rana, Sir Vivian Richards. And of course, in the other one, of course, Stuart Lampitt, um, separated at birth. <laughs> I was going to say him. <laughs> Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So there you go. You can have that. It's the best I've got, I'm afraid. Sorry. <laughs> well, a lot of people mentioned Yasser Shah's 100 against Australia this winter. My yeah, favorite, good one, yeah. My favourite response was Tom Evans, who said, Stuart Bloor's test entry made sense at the time, but, which I thought was actually pretty good. Um, of course, yeah. Tino Best, 95 against England. That was pretty insane. Mm. Um, Jimmy Anderson nearly, was, you know, he was only 19 runs away from a test 100. Uh, Glenn McGraw's got a test 50. Um, but my favourite, and I'm convinced this is England's lowest point this century, uh, is, is Roston Chase's 8 for 60 last year. Um, that was an aberration. Um, and I, I, I'm not really over it, and I'm not sure if England are really over it. But um, <laughs> that was uh, after lowest for me. Have we got? Have we got any more? Well, I mentioned Michael Clark six for nine last week. Um, all the more bizarre the more you think about it. He took the last six wickets to fall in in about twenty minutes against India. That one's always up there. Another one, and this doesn't fit the bill, but it's still something that I can't quite ever shake maybe because of my age at the time and I was watching it but Andy Bickle 7 for 20 in that 2003 World Cup game against England you you have you have McGrath and Lee opening the bowling in that game and England was 60 for naught off about 7 or 8 overs Nick Knight star of the show and Gothic went after them at Port Elizabeth uh, about 45 minutes later, Andy Bickle had absolutely ripped through England and ended up taking seven for 22. Um, that's, that's a desperate aberration on England's part. I know kind of that's what Bickle's there for, but no one is ever, he, ever... He was a good bowler, Bickle. Yeah, but come on, seven for 20. Seven, in, a, in, a, in 10 overs, seven for 20 after they've gone after McGrath and Lee and um, Gillespie as well and taken to the cleaners. It doesn't fit the bill, but it's one that I've never been able to shake. So that, that Clark one actually reminds me, so that six for nine was maybe all the more amazing that it came in a, in a loss by 13 runs mm. uh, when they bowled it out for 205 in the second but caught ball up for 93 in the, in the chase. But he also it was clearly took, doing a bit, yeah. Yeah, but the one I actually remember is, the, is the, the three for five he took in 2008, I think, when uh, the game looked to be, India looked to be about to scrape a draw and then he comes on and takes three for five, I think in two overs or less. Um, yeah, it was at, it was at Sydney right at yeah, the death. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Just, that that uh, was that was the nasty game, the game where uh, Harbajan nice. and Simon squared up uh, yeah. and may or may not have said some appalling things. Um yeah, but yeah, Clark saw that one off and then Australia went berserk afterwards, I remember. And then there was a poll that week in the Australian press and the the Aussie public had essentially turned away from the team. Um and uh, Peter Roebuck, the brilliant writer at the time he wrote something I think for the Sydney Morning Herald saying that the, the Australian setup should be ashamed of itself for the way that it behaved throughout that test match and the piece got a lot of support among the, the Aussie public and after that 
Ponting had to release a statement saying, yeah, we, you know, we're addressing our behaviour and so on and so on. So that was a lightning rod moment that game in a number of ways oh but here's you to finish off the show um, anyway this has been the Wizzing Cricket Weekly podcast thanks for thanks for coming guys we'll be recording these every week throughout the summer regardless of how much cricket there'll be so stay tuned we need your help listeners <laughs> yeah any suggestions for what you want us to talk about please yeah. if you've enjoyed the show tell a friend about it and if you're feeling extra nice why not leave us a five star review on the podcast app cheers Podcast Network.